0: Welcome to The Open Word, the online teaching ministry of Pastor David Landry, on today's episode. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw.
1: had he supported the people of Israel with his own funds with his own finances again hundreds or thousands we have no idea no clue at all but we do know that again out of his own riches out of his own finances he supported others how many prayers had he actually prayed Luke said he prayed to God always again there's no possible way that we could number the amount of prayers that this man prayed but at just the right time, whether it had been years that he had been praying to the God of Israel or only months, we don't know. But at just the right time, God answered and God honored his devotion and his sacrifice. Jesus
0: sees what you do for his kingdom and you'll be rewarded. Though it may not be what you'd expect and it may not even be during this lifetime, treasures do await you. Pastor David teaches you today that Jesus is always faithful. Though he owes you nothing, he always gives abundantly and rewards your efforts abundantly. When you're downtrodden and failing to see the point of your efforts, remember that Jesus cares. He sees your struggles and will help you through them or help you out of them. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Acts chapter 10 as he begins his message, A Long-Expected Answer.
1: We're in the book of Acts as we've been going through Acts now for a while, and uh, yeah, for a while, uh, long before the Christmas break and all, we were in Acts. We're now in Acts chapter 10. The the book of Acts uh, I believe is uh, uh, is unique among every other book within the Bible. Yes, it's a historical book, not unlike uh, like in the Old Testament. Genesis was a historic book. The uh, the uh, Exodus, We uh, you can look at Judges, uh, you know, Joshua. There's a, there's a lot of historical books in the Bible, but uh, the book of Acts is a little bit different than that because what I see in the book of Acts more than a historical book is actually written for the precise purpose, I believe, of being an apologetic for the Christian faith. Now, understand, it's not that Luke is apologizing for the christian faith that 's not what an apologetic is an apologetic is actually it's a it 's a discourse it 's a it's a it 's a message or it 's a writing it 's a defense of the Word of God and the move of God and the doctrine of god and that 's what we see here in the book of Acts. We need to remember that again at the very beginning of luke's statements back in his gospel account in the book of luke um, Luke brings about the fact that he's writing as a clear understanding for a particular individual. If you remember uh, back in the Gospel of Luke, at the beginning of that Gospel in chapter one, Luke writes, "Inasmuch as many have taken in hand "'to set in order a narrative of those things "'which have been fulfilled among us, "'just as those who from the beginning "'were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word "'delivered them to us, It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. So he's writing to someone by the name of Theophilus. That's what he's writing, both Luke as well as the book of Acts. And here in Luke, he speaks of Theophilus as most excellent Theophilus. The very phrase, most excellent, kind of brings with it the connotation of probably rank or, or office, and thus the reasoning that many folks believe that Theophilus was very possibly a, a ranking Roman soldier or an officer who had either already come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, or at at some point in his life, he had, he's seriously considering the claims of Christ. And so Luke is writing these two messages primarily to him. His relationship with Luke is unknown. We really don't know uh, how they came together. Speculation suggests that perhaps... Theophilus was uh, maybe the 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 officer actually in charge of the Apostle Paul's imprisonments. We know that Luke uh, again was with Paul more than one occasion during Paul's imprisonments, and as such, if he was in charge over Paul, there's no doubt he would have heard the gospel message probably multiple times. Here in both the, the Gospel of Luke as well as the Gospel of Luke Part 2, known as the Book of Acts, uh, Luke takes, uh, takes upon himself to write this orderly account uh, of the actions and the claims of Jesus. That's found in the Gospel record but then also the move of the Holy Spirit through the birth of the church and through the the activities of men like Peter and Paul. And again, that's what we see in the book of Acts. And if it's true that Theophilus was the officer that was in charge of the Apostle Paul's imprisonment, that would explain why a large portion of the book of Acts focuses on the ministry of the Apostle Paul, his life, his conversion, and his ministry. At the beginning of Acts, Luke once again references Theophilus. In Acts chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, we read, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach. So he's drawing from the gospel now into the book of Acts. And I share all of that with you as we prepare to go into chapter 10 of the book of Acts to help us understand a couple of things. First of all, we find that through the Holy Spirit's leading and directing, yes, he led and directed Luke to write what he wrote and when he wrote it, but through that, we see that all of chapter 10 and even a portion of chapter 11 deal directly with the conversion of Cornelius and his household, a Gentile and a Roman officer. Uh, And again, uh, that, that would speak directly to a man like Theophilus. Secondly, we see this conversion of Cornelius, this Roman centurion, it leads to the debate actually among the church leaders back in Jerusalem as to whether Gentiles can actually become Christians without first converting to Judaism and fulfilling the law in order to become Christians. Christians because right now up to this point primarily it was Jews that were becoming Christians and this new deal with the Gentiles coming to faith it kind of rocks the church up and that actually would speak again to the heart of Theophilus a Gentile not a Jewish proselyte but a Gentile coming to faith in Christ. And so we see that through the book of Acts, we find that God is flat out shaking up some of the prejudiced opinions, some of the false understandings that even the believers and even some of the leaders had in the church of who can be saved and how they're saved. So with all of these issues... I believe it would be a powerful testimony to a Roman soldier like Theophilus, a testimony of God's love, God's plan for all people everywhere. He's not just the God of the Jews. No, he's the God over all of his creation, and he calls men and women everywhere to repent. And so again, we see that in the pages of the book of Acts. Now, I know that this is a really long introduction to this one chapter here in Acts, but bear with me for a couple of more things I want to bring to your attention before we get into today's study. In nearly every case, if not every case, whenever the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, whenever they write or speak in, in reference to centurions, these Roman soldiers, they speak of them almost always in a good light, and in a good way, and such was the case we find in both Matthew and Luke, Uh, about the centurion who had the servant that was sick, and finally that servant actually died. Well, that servant, the centurion, had called for Jesus to come and heal his servant. So we see this man who, again, trusted Jesus to be the one who could heal his servant. And so we see that, that work there in a very positive light as a centurion. Pretty much the same kind of a light as we see for Cornelius as we get into chapter 10. A devout man, a giving man, a man with a generous heart not a proselyte to Judaism, he had not become a Jew, uh, but he was a man who loved the God of the Jews and worked favorably with the Jewish people. And then one last thing, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as we read uh, of what appears to be actually a possible conversion of a centurion at the crucifixion of Jesus remember as Jesus died the centurion that was in charge of the crucifixion he was the one who said truly this was the son of God. Now, we don't know for sure, only God knows, but that is a powerful declaration for anyone to make. And could that have actually been the point where that centurion came to a faith in who Jesus was? Well, we'll know when we get there, right? So with all of that overload of information rattling around in your brains, let's move on into chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, Luke writes for us, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. A centurion of what is called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. They find out that Cornelius lives in Caesarea. Caesarea by the sea, Caesarea Maritima, Caesarea Philistina, it goes by all of these names. A, uh, a large, very powerful city during that first century. It was a city that was built on a lesser city by uh, Herod the Great back 22 to 10 BC. A very powerful city because it itself had become the, the, the political power, uh, commercial power, it had a port there all of these things, because it was a major city, a major Roman city, there was a good uh, large deployment of Roman soldiers there at that time. Uh, One of the Roman soldiers that was there during that time was our man Cornelius, a centurion of what's called the Italian Regiment. now Cornelius's position as a Centurion uh, it was a position of power it was a position of status and authority a centurion was directly responsible for about a hundred different sol- or a hundred soldiers under his direct command. But we also find that Cornelius was a part of what it says here, the Italian regiment. Your version might say the Italian cohort or the Italian band. It was a a, a regiment or a cohort uh, is a group of about uh, 400 to 600 soldiers. Uh, The particular group here being soldiers that directly is connected to uh, Rome or at least Italy itself, the Italian regiment. And that differs from other regiments that were in Judea during that time. During that time, uh, there were other regiments. Some of them were Syrian soldiers as well as other uh, country and makeups of the soldiers. Some of them were regiments of of fugitives or, or slaves from a variety of different regions that Rome had gone in and conquered, and then these men became a part of the Roman uh, army. Actually, you need to understand that there there are many times that the Romans acted extremely fair with the people that, uh, again, they, they conquered and they took as captives. They would actually give them the choice. They could either join the Roman army and fight against their neighbors, or they could be killed. So they were, they were very fair in how they dealt with people that way. Uh, and it was a very persuasive enlistment plan also. Uh, some have said that the Italian regiment was actually a group of freed slaves actually from Rome. They were serving as soldiers in the Roman army until they retired, and upon retirement, then they would be given full Roman citizenship. But by serving as a centurion, we know that Cornelius, he already had Roman citizenship. Now, beyond being a Roman citizen, a soldier, and a centurion, uh, Cornelius is also described by Luke here as a devout man, one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people, and prayed to God always. you got to understand, that would have been a very unique situation for a Roman soldier, Roman soldiers known for their grit, for their strength, for their tenacity in battle, as well as their life-sacrificing loyalty to Rome and to the Caesars. And to find a Roman soldier who's devoted to the God of Israel, that was a rare find indeed. But Cornelius was one of those men. His devotion wasn't just in the privacy of his own heart. He wasn't a, a secret lover of god of israel no apparently his love for god his devotion to him uh, it had impacted his whole family as well as those even serving within his household it says he feared god with all his household his devotion of god wasn't just by words and by prayers it was also through sacrificial giving And living. Luke tells us that he gave alms generously to the people. And in the context of Luke's writings, we understand that this was probably monetary support to the Jews who had suffered under the rule of the Romans. He was a giving man with a giving heart. He was also a man that desired to hear from God, he prayed to God always. Now, that's, again, once again, very interesting in the whole mix of things. Because this man, he was not a convert to Judaism. Uh, He was not a Christian. And yet he prayed continually. God had placed on his heart a hunger for the things of the heavenly kingdom. It was a hunger that couldn't be satisfied with riches. And I believe that's why he had a giving heart. Man, I've got all this. Uh, This brings me no... Completion and so he had a giving heart. It was a hunger that wasn't satisfied by worldly power or the authority. That would have left him empty. It would have left him desiring more. He knew that it just wasn't the things of this world. He had come to understand even that the pagan worship of Rome was foolish, it was, it was powerless, and, and it would have left him hopeless. And so he turned to the God of Israel, the God of all creation, the God of all gods. And through a healthy fear of Almighty God, in his devotion to the one true God, in the hunger of his soul, he sought for truth. And I believe that that's why he prayed continually, or always. How long had he been searching? We have no way of knowing. Years? Maybe. Perhaps, we just don't know. How much had he supported the people of Israel with his own funds, with his own finances? Again, hundreds or thousands, we have no idea. No clue at all. But we do know that, again, out of his own riches, out of his own finances, he supported others. How many prayers had he actually prayed? Luke said he prayed to God always. Again, there's no possible way that we could number the amount of prayers that this man prayed. But at just the right time, whether it had been years that he had been praying to the God of Israel or only months, we don't know. But at just the right time, God answered and God honored his devotion and his sacrifice. Look at verse three. At about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, He was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? And so he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Undoubtedly, this had become the usual course of his life, the three o'clock, well, it says the ninth hour, that's three o'clock in the afternoon. That's a a regular prayer time for the Jews. And so as he prayed, uh, this vision came to him. And the words of Luke uh, he says he saw clearly in a vision. Uh, that means that it, it, it had the impact of, of being yes, supernatural and, and real at the same time. It wasn't just some kind of a foggy, surreal, dream-like vision, kind of half awake, half asleep. You know those things that you and I see many times in the morning. No, this was this was real right before him. And Luke writes in such a way as describing literally evidentiary proof that what Cornelius saw was tangible and real. Not some foggy thing, but a real angel standing before him. Even in verse 4, where Luke says, he observed him. The very word that Luke uses there for observed has a strong meaning of gazing intently, of fastening the eyes of looking earnestly, no, he wasn't half asleep, no, it it got his attention. There was something real standing right in front of Cornelius, and he was afraid. It has to be something to make a Roman soldier, particularly a centurion, afraid. And Cornelius feared at that moment and at that time. I don't care how tough of a Roman soldier you are. I don't care how many battles you might have fought or won. You don't stand face to face with a true angel of almighty God and not have the fear of God shoot through the very core of your being. Cornelius, the angel declared. And Cornelius responded, what is it, Lord? And the word that he uses there for Lord is much like you and I would use the, the word, sir. What is it, sir? Uh, I, I believe that probably running through Cornelius' brain was, are you the angel of death? You know, you've, you've come to take me? Or maybe you're God's avenging angel and all the evil that I've done in the past, you've now come to, again, bring that to bear. Fortunately, uh, there doesn't seem to be very much hesitation with the angel to respond to Cornelius at this point in time. He said that your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. I believe that there was probably a great sigh of relief in Cornelius at that point in time. That again, what he was doing, God had heard. Let me ask you this. You ever wonder if your prayers or your giving ever really comes up as a memorial before God? Do do we really, again, bring the interest of heaven in our lives that much? I believe that with the simplicity of these words, Cornelius, once again, able to breathe, uh, blood coming back to his face, senses returning completely to him, and the angel continues on in verse 5. He says, now... Send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. We have every reason to believe that that Cornelius probably had never heard of the apostle Peter. He would have no way of knowing who this Simon character was. And so the angel explained it to him fully. Now, the way my brain works, and you guys know that my brain sometimes is kind of off in left field, but if I were to dramatize this, the words would have been a little bit like this. Send men to Joppa. Look for a guy whose name is Simon, but he's also called Peter. He's staying at Simon's house. No, not his own house. It's another Simon's house, Simon the Tanner, Uh, He has a house by the sea, and he's going to tell you what you must do. No, not Simon the Tanner. Simon, the one that's called Peter, he'll tell you what to do. But uh, the angel makes it pretty clear who he's supposed to find. And so Luke continues in verse 7. Verse 7, he says, And when the angel who spoke to him had departed... Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa, two servants and a devout soldier. Most likely, all of them men of faith like Cornelius. Men that Cornelius could trust with, with this personal exercise of his own faith, sending men out to find this Simon Peter, men that he could trust with the importance of this particular task. The soldier, I believe, went along, uh, no doubt for their safety, to deal with any robbers or any highwaymen that they might uh, run into, particularly because I believe that they traveled a lot uh, at night.
0: Thank you for joining us today on The Open Word. Acts is such an interesting book about the early church and how people engaged with their newfound faith and then spread that good news to their region and the entire world. If you're new to the Bible and are unsure what this newfound faith is, you can learn more about a man named Jesus who came to save you. He came as the Son of God to save you from your sins. These early disciples in the book of Acts were elated to share with everyone what Jesus had done for each of them. They wanted others to know that kind of love, too. If you want to understand this more fully, we'd like you to know that here at The Open Word, we're here for you and we're praying for you. If you have some questions, please give us a call at 520-836-9676. We'd also like to encourage you to find a church and begin attending regularly. If you live in Casa Grande, we'd love for you to come visit us. The Open Word is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande, and we meet every Saturday at 6.30 p.m. and Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. You're welcome to join us for a time of worship and Bible study and a time to get to know other believers and find support. Find out more when you call us. Again, that number is 520-836-9676. You can also find out more about The Open Word and listen to additional messages by visiting theopenword.com. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to The Open Word.